our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Good evening. Tonight, we have something you can add to your bedtime playlist. Perhaps one of my longest videos yet. In this video, we will be listening to a collection of terrifying camping experiences in the forest as well as a few longer forest ranger stories thrown in there for a good time. If you enjoy, please be sure to leave a like and comment and subscribe. Also, I have made some new merchandise which will be linked in the description below. However, without further ado, let's begin. I have been a park ranger in a national park that's located in the UK and England for just over 10 years. I'm not going to tell you which one or even the county of which it's located for the sake of my job as I still work here, but there are some pretty weird things that you find every so often while on shift. Things that my superior would likely not appreciate me sharing online. My job mainly involves patrolling the trails and checking that they're all in a safe state for people to walk through. I was also asked to talk with school children and assemblies as such after about a year on the job to express how important it is to stay with the group on the trails. I gave pretty obvious reasons for this but little did I know I would soon discover some of the horrifying truths as to why they should never wander off. The first story I am going to share with you took place on a beautiful spring morning in June, I think. This was during my first year on the job. The sun was still low in the sky, but it was slowly rising and brightening my surroundings. I was on a normal morning patrol through one of the deeper trails, as it hadn't been checked recently and protocol to frequently check all the trails for fallen trees and any other potential natural hazards to hikers. It was such a beautiful morning, I remember walking along with a slight smile on my face as I listened to nature waking up in the trees and I found a cool breeze very relaxing and it had a truly peaceful effect on my moods. Suddenly the trees to my left were filled with sounds of birds squawking loudly as they frantically flew away. I stopped and listened for a moment. Silence. A quote from another story I read here reads very true to this situation. Pray is silent when predators are near. Now, understand that we don't have any bears or wolves here in England. Nothing like that. So I suppose it could be a deer that had snapped a twig. However, the noise wouldn't usually drop like that as a deer don't pose much of a threat to wildlife after all. I continued on, not thinking anything of it, and after a short time, I got the urge to check behind me. There was a man walking, maybe 100 metres back, and I was on a long straight so it was easy to tell. I was confused that the trails aren't usually used until a little later when early dog walkers would show up and even then few would wander this far into the woods at this time. 
He seemed to be walking at a very relaxed pace, his hands in his dark blue hoodie's pockets, and he had faded blue jeans. I radioed over to ask if anyone had seen someone enter the trail. I was walking shortly after I left, but no one had seen anyone come in or out other than the occasional dog walker. I thought nothing of it, but continued on a slight hurried pace. I usually wouldn't be bothered about being out on my own with another stranger. It wasn't a small bloke nor someone to get spooked easily. However, this guy just gave me a... a... a bad feeling. I was approaching a gate that leads to a much denser area of the woodland, more like a thick forest. And as I closed the gate behind me, I noticed this man had stopped dead in his tracks. He seemed to be staring right at me, but I couldn't be sure. Then he broke into a sprint. Not a light jog that someone out for exercise might. I am taking a full-on sprint. It was almost aggressive. I freaked out and turned to run. Why would a complete stranger who was previously so calm and relaxed suddenly be sprinting at me? He hadn't called for help or even waved to me. Fortunately, the trail's long straight section was over and I ran around a curve and hid behind one of the many large rocks that were by the side of the trail. I could hear his heavy footsteps thudding towards me right until he was just on the other side of the rock and he stopped. Again, dead in his tracks. He wasn't even out of breath. He just seemed to stand there for a while and then just walked off. I waited for what must have been close to 10 minutes to be sure he was far ahead and radioed a strange encounter to my colleagues, who agreed it was strange, and I cautiously continued on with my patrol. I never saw the strange man again and I hope I never do. I have many more memories I would like to share with you, but stay safe out there kids, you are rarely truly alone in the forest. Hey guys, it's me again. I hope you're all doing well. I'm back with another story I'd like to share with you, or rather I feel the need to share with you as there's nothing I like about it. When someone goes missing in our national parks, the British search and rescue team are contacted immediately. However, there are always at least half an hour flights away, and even then they only have so much flight time before they are forced to turn around their helicopters around to refuel. This leaves a lot of searching down to the rangers, as we know all of the areas and trails very well. It's always an adrenaline-pumped situation to be in as you never know what the outcome will be. Usually the helicopter spots the lost people within 20 minutes of joining the search, but then there are the missing people. You should know that between the rangers we refer to these situations with two categories, lost people and missing people. A lost person is a normal search and rescue scenario. Someone went down the wrong trail and hasn't been seen in a while, and perhaps thrown a broken leg for good measure. The main thing is that we find them, even if they're a little beat up. A missing person is someone who hasn't been seen for anything over a day, or if the situation seems, well, off. For example, when people just seem to disappear. I have one particular case I am going to share with you. I will warn you closer to the time, but there is some pretty explicit content in this memory, so here is your far pre-warning. It was a pretty standard shift, 
The sky was just starting to dim as the sun started sinking towards the horizon and I was sat in the ranger station taking calls and checking emails when a woman comes bursting through the door absolutely beside herself. Her hair is a mess with leaves tangled in it, her makeup is all smudged down and across her face and her eyes are red from crying. She tells me that her son has been by her side one minute and when he went into the bushes, just off the trail, for a wee, he never came back. There was no scream, no noise, no nothing. I knew at the instant that we had a missing person on our hands and my heart stopped. A missing child was always bad news and seldom had a happy ending. He had been in the bush for maybe two minutes when his mother called out to him and she went running into the woods to try and find him. She was very lucky to have made it back to the trail without getting lost or worse, if you ask me. I tried my best to calm her down and took her to a map and after showing her where our station was, I asked her to try and locate their average location at the time, while I made some calls. She protested at first but after assuring her we had dealt with this kind of situation many times before, she brought herself to trust my instructions and started tracing her tracks on the map. I immediately called the SAR team, the search and rescue, closest to us and told them the exact location was to be confirmed but to dispatch a helicopter for a missing child. They gave us an ETA of 40 minutes. They gave us an estimated time of 40 minutes. I gathered all the rangers on duty and after confirming with the woman where she believed that they were when he disappeared, we all got assigned grids on the map to check and we head out. We are very thorough as we search and we each square of the grid very effectively and do not leave so much as a rock unturned. So we're getting deeper and deeper into the woods at this point. We'd been searching for a good couple of hours but the dogs hadn't picked up on the boys scent yet and we were merely doing a routine comb styled search. The helicopter was buzzing around non-stop and everyone was as quiet. No one really spoke much while looking for children. I think it's because of the fact that it's a child we are looking for, not an adult who may be able to look after themselves. I'm getting this heavy knotted feeling in my gut. You know, the kind you get when you just don't know that it's going to be a fruitless effort. I should also mention that this is getting dark now and there's not much light left and what little is left is completely blocked out by the trees so it's a flashlight from here on out. We'll never find a kid bro, my colleague said in a completely flat voice. Don't talk like that, we never know what we could find while searching, I replied sharply. Though deep down in my gut I knew that the child was gone. The helicopter heads back for more fuel and comes back again. After a further few hours of searching, It is getting very dark and we call it a night as everyone needs to get back before the forest was completely consumed by darkness. The woman stayed in one of the medical beds we had previously prepared for her son, though I doubt she slept at all. I watched the cameras that lay deep in the forest somewhat in that area the child could have walked in. After an hour or so of nothing, I eventually decide to call it a night. We didn't find the boy the next day or the day after for that matter. Three weeks later, one of our rangers radios that they've found this body of a child deep into the woods and that we need to go there and fast. She sounded worried, 
A few rangers and I jumped into a 4x4 that we used to get deep into the woods quickly and we make our way to the location described. It's a clearing near an old entrance to a closed cave. The trees seem to all lean over towards the cave entrance as if to be watching intently for whatever it next to climb out. We arrived after 10 or maybe 15 minutes ride. It was one of those most uncomfortable and tense rides of my career as the vehicle access trail was rarely used as we didn't have much reason to come this far into the woods and we never travelled at this speed. We parked in a clearing and approached what would turn out to be one of the most disturbing experiences of my career. I would like to take the opportunity to warn you that what I describe next could be disturbing to some and cause upset as I can only label it as child abuse. The boy was curied in the fetal position laid on his left side and it may have looked as if he died naturally if it wasn't for the huge pool of blood he was laying in along with the fact that he was completely naked. We rolled his stiff body over into his back and I think we all took a step back as if some force had pushed us all away at the same time. Some sick person had sliced his gut open allowing all his innards to spill out. But the horror didn't end there, oh god no. Please understand that this is not an easy memory for me to recite so forgive me for not going into too much detail though I doubt I will feel like they missed out. The left everything of this boy was gone. His left eye, left ear, left testicle, left hand and foot. I was mortified. I am not ashamed to say that I threw up violently almost instantly upon taking all of this in for a moment. Every cut was very neat and clean. More so than you'd imagine a surgeon could make them especially out in the woods. What was even more horrifying was that the body couldn't have been more than a few days old. Whoever, or whatever for that matter, had taken him and done this had kept him hostage for almost three weeks. The thought of how terrified this child must have been still sickens me even now, nearly seven years on. We called a tin and an air ambulance took his body away to be examined by the police and checked for prints. Now we're not really meant to be kept in a loop on following investigations after they've left the park, however the local police officers would tend to update us regularly on results of these findings. An officer had rung to update us and his voice sounded dull. He sounded almost as if he was depressed to be making the call and I understood why. The post-mortal had revealed that the cuts all seemed to be taken from when the boy was alive. Furthermore, it seemed that there were no traces of food in the boy's stomach, so he clearly wasn't fed either. Apparently, there were more body parts missing but I just thanked the officer for informing me and hung up the phone slowly. I sat there for a good 20 minutes, bawling my eyes out before relaying this horrific update to a few colleagues. How that little boy didn't die sooner is beyond me. I can't contemplate how this could have happened but whoever or whatever did this is definitely dangerous, extremely dangerous. That trail was closed off for a good time and there were armed patrols through the area of the woods for nearly four months following in a desperate attempt to find a trace of who did this or at least where it happened. We found nothing, not even the other body parts. They even explored that of the cave that was still safe to access 
despite it being closed off due to many deaths due to a lack of safety. This is not the only experience of this nature that occurred, however. However, I am going to cut it off here, as I just get emotional just allowing the memory to crop back to me. Please keep your children close by your side, and if they need the toilet, they must either wait or you must accompany them, and never stray far from the trail. No more than 5 meters would be recommended, not unless you know exactly what you're doing. We had two tents next to each other, about 5 feet apart, in the middle of the mountains. I have my three little brothers in one tent and me and my girlfriend in the other. It's night time and we have just put the fire out, so it is dark. Everyone is in their respective tents snoozing off into dreamland. About an hour later, I am the only one awake. Suddenly I hear soft, human-like footsteps circling our tents, over and over. Confused, I ask who's there with no response. The footsteps continue, so I step outside. No one. Footsteps stop. I go back into my tent. Footsteps start again. I make my presence known and go back out. But there's no one. Footsteps stop. Of course, I check on my brothers, but they are soundly asleep. I repeat the same process about four or five times, believe it or not. The footsteps always stop. I end up just going to sleep to the footsteps and not caring. When morning comes, I ask my brothers how they slept and they respond with fine except for you walking loudly around the damn campsite all night. A few years ago I was camping in the Everglades in Florida with a few friends. We all had gone into our separate tents and were starting to fall asleep. The area was pretty noisy with bugs, crickets, birds, etc. I heard this very low vibration, sounding almost like a low roar. It was powerful enough to vibrate in my chest. Suddenly, everything in the forest shut up. No bugs, no birds, nothing. About 30 seconds later, my phone vibrates and it's my friend in the other tent texting me, asking if I heard the same thing. The four of us kept texting each other, wondering what it was. About ten minutes later, all the animals slowly started making noise again. I slept that night with my machete at arm's reach. A lot of people are saying it might have been a gator. We were in an elevated area that was far from any streams or ponds. It's possible there might have been a pond with a gator that we missed, but the very big ones tend to hang out in lakes. A couple of years ago, my brother bought a large piece of land out in the middle of nowhere, about 30 miles or so from cell phone reception. It's quiet, there is no light pollution, no paved roads, and not a lot of people around. Shortly after he bought the place, two of my brothers, the landowner and another, me and our family spent a weekend camping on the land doing our best to clean it up. People had used it as a dump. There were many downed trees, etc. On the second night we camped there, I woke up in the middle of the night to take a leak. As I was walking to the bushes in the dark, I realised that I could faintly hear music. 
This didn't strike me as odd because I knew my brother had a radio in his camper. I finished up and went back to sleep with no further thought on the matter. The next morning at breakfast, I mentioned the radio and music. Several other people recalled waking in the night and hearing music, but no two people heard the same music. Finally, the brother who brought the radio woke up. I asked him about the music and he seemed a bit freaked out. He woke up sometime during the night and went outside to smoke. He heard music as well and had assumed it was someone else. I should mention that he was the only one with a generator and a radio. It wasn't his radio we heard. It wasn't anyone else's either. I've been back several times but I'm a bit freaked out by the place at night. I have fun while I'm there, but I'm almost always armed and I don't sleep in a tent anymore. I sleep in an SUV with the doors locked. It may seem kind of dumb, but realising that everyone heard different music when there are no people, no functional radios and no electricity is quite creepy. One summer I helped a Boy Scout troop I was part of. I received my Eagle Award two years before, but wasn't particularly active afterwards. I liked camping and they needed a few leaders. And we took the troop down to Antledam National Battlefield. A number of other troops had also come down for the weekend, and we had a weekend full of Civil War education, reenactments and troops pranking other troops. All of the troops were camped along Antledam Creek on the other side of the Burnside Bridges Roads the side that isn't part of the park. It was pretty easy for anyone to cross the road and walk onto the battlefield to go up to Burnside's Bridge, along the creek and see the field where the Union soldiers massed and tried to cross the bridge. I grew up outside of Gettysburg, so ghost stories about Antitam didn't bother me at all. There's enough weird tales in Gettysburg that other battlefields really didn't faze me. The second night we were there, the troops all hit the hay early due to the fact they were made to march all day by an overzealous reenactor. I took a walk over to the bridge right after dinner and the sun was slowly sinking towards night. It was actually quite beautiful, seeing the field and the creek. I walked up to the bridge and started to walk across it when I felt an excruciating sharp pain in my chest. I almost doubled over in pain and clenched my chest. I thought maybe I was having a heart attack, but both of my arms were fine and free to move. I put both hands on a part of the chest that hurt and felt another sharp pain right below the top of my right shoulder, then the meaty part above your pecs, underneath your shoulder, and just in from your underarm. That pain came and knocked me down where I almost cracked my head open on the side of the stone bridge. I laid there, freaking out and scrambled to my feet and booked it back to camp. I got back to camp and had another scoutmaster take a look at my chest and I have two raised red lumps that under the skin you could see were turning into blood blisters. He asked me what I was doing and I told him that it just happened when I was walking around the battlefield. Not once had I thought about any haunting or anything. I called it an evening and turned in. The next morning after breakfast, the troops were scheduled to meet with a park official at Burnside Bridge. 
Now a troop and about four other ones stood on the battlefield facing towards the bridge where the park official was detailing the history of the battle. When he talked about the bridge, then I paid attention more. I found out that the Confederate sharpshooters took up position on the other side of the creek and on the side where we were all at was then Union. The Union soldiers were supposed to take the bridge and were just picked off left and right on that bridge. Confederates lost somehow in the neighbourhood of 500 soldiers and the Union lost over 15,000. No Union soldier ever made it past the halfway point of the bridge. At this point my scoutmaster just looks at me and I'm wondering what the hell happened the night before. I went camping with a summer programme when I was 16. Twelve other guys being managed by four adult men and we were having a great time. S'mores, hot cocoa, campfire stories, the works. We all had to be in our tents and either sleeping or awake by quiet by 11. I was in a tent with two other guys staying up late just talking. Typical teenage guy stuff. As one guy is talking I start to hear heavy breathing nearby. Like someone has just been running and is out of breath. I ignore it and keep listening. I figure I'm just a weird kid hearing things. Or that it's one of the guys in the next tent making noise while he's sleeping. Then we hear... Please, help me. From outside. It didn't sound like anyone in the group, but sounded like an old man out of breath. We all went dead quiet and listened to the guy's breath. Then, ask again with a whimper at the end. I don't know what possessed this guy near the front of his tent, but he turned on a flashlight and opened it in a flap, but kept outer zipped and looked out. We see just a pair of bare, old, scabbed and pale legs standing there. It looked like the guy had been walking nude through the woods for some time. He asked for help, but kept standing there. We were all paralysed with fear, but the guy at the front managed to say, Keep walking down the trail. Our ranger should be around soon. The guy stopped breathing and said, No. No rangers. They, they keep me here. It was at this point someone else finally spoke up. A chaperone came out of his tent with a flashlight and cautiously asked him, how long have you been out here? What happened to you? The old man didn't answer. He just started sobbing and ran off into the woods. We saw by the flashlight that he was completely naked and emasculated. When I was young, from age 5 to 11, my dad lived in an old log cabin about 15 miles west of Sheridan in the foothills of the Bighorn Mountains. Every summer when I was visiting, we would go up into the mountains backpacking and fishing for two days every weekend. We would park the truck, hike into a remote area of fishing for trout along the way and make camp wherever we ended up. We encountered a number of strange and creepy things and got into some scary situations with wildlife but the one that sticks with me the most was an ancient abandoned camp we found. We were hiking down a very steep slope to get to an area of a creek that had been dammed up by beavers. 
hoping to catch some big trout. I had climbed out on the rock ledge and was looking for a way down when I saw the stock and action of an old rusty rifle sticking out of a tree, where the tree had grown around the barrel years before. It was about 10 inches above the ground. Dad and I climbed down to check it out and we found a small cave at the base of the rock formation, only about 12 inches deep, which would make a nice natural shelter but a really terrible place to set up a long-term camp. Inside we found a bunch of really old stuff. Three heavy gauge unopened cans of food, an old cast iron pot that had holes rusted all the way through it, a crusty old saddle and burdle set, and a very deteriorated heavy wool blanket rolled up and tied with a leather belt. When we unwrapped the blanket, we found several personal items including a rusty old cap and ball black powder revolver, a leather satchel with lead pistol shot, a powder horn with no black powder in it, tarnished old cartridges, presumably for the rifle in the tree, a straight razor and most unsettling was a shirt with holes in it and over half of it stained with dried blood. As we stood there thinking about what all this meant, it occurred to me how remote this place was, even at that time. It was July of 1985, and the fact that whoever owned that shirt had been very seriously injured, stuck on a steep slope in the middle of absolutely nowhere, I got serious chills down my spine. The only thing that somewhat dated this fateful campsite was the pistol and the rifle, both of which were made sometime in the 1870s according to my father. There's no way to ever know what happened to the man who owned all this stuff, but the fact that he or someone he knew was obviously shot twice with either a gun or arrows and all his belongings were sitting right where he left them, possibly 100 years ago. It was highly unlikely he left the area alive. Discovering what amounts to a hundred-year-old crime scene in the very remote wilderness kind of gave me the creeps. But mostly, it just made me sad to know that how hopeless and alone this guy must have felt when he died. Just a few weeks ago, we were on a road trip from BC to San Diego and we came upon a campsite just outside of a crescent city, California. We drove through, one side of the campground was relatively empty. I noticed a few scattered tents but nobody close to the location we needed up picking. We had tons of space. We wanted an early night so I started a fire while my girlfriend started cooking. We ate, had a few beers and climbed up to a rooftop tent with our dog by 9pm or so. I had a rough time sleeping and woke up a few times but finally fell into a deep, decent sleep. In the pitch dark with all our tent windows and canvases closed, I was awoken at 1am by someone whistling outside of our tent, the tune of When the Saints Come Marching In. After a few minutes of this repetitive whistling, I nudged my girlfriend who awoke and was obviously freaked out as well. The whistling then turned to chanting things like When you sleep here you disrespect me and when you disrespect me you disrespect the US Marines. The person would start spelling out words like flee, 
the verbiage and tone kept getting more aggressive, so we decided we had to make a move. I slowly unzipped the tent while our guard dog was snoring and got my head out of the tent. And got my head out of the tent. I took a few seconds to let my eyes adjust and figure out where the person was. I felt more confident once I could somewhat see and hear. So I climbed down. The girlfriend passed me the dog and she climbed down too. We flipped the tent up without securing it and we jumped into our truck. Well, the person was still whistling. And we booked it to a motel in Crescent City. The next morning we drove back to get the few belongings that weren't in the truck and the family had been camping a few sites over said it went on for another two or three hours and it was the scariest thing their family had ever experienced. On a road trip with a friend and we hiked into a trail in Colorado one evening to camp so we wouldn't have to pay for a campsite. Found a little clearing by the stream. My friend set up a tent while I decided to sleep under the stars. Right as we were getting ready to go to sleep, another woman showed up and pitched her tent in the clearing as well. I hadn't been feeling well that day, plus we had the hike in with all our stuff. So when I slept, I slept hard. Woke up to a ranger shaking me and asking if I saw where the bear went. The bear? What bear? Then I look up and see the woman's tent just shredded. Turns out she had left her food in her tent that night. We hung ours from a tree, and a curious bear came by at like four in the morning to have a snack, and tearing into her tent. It ended up breaking its claws across her forehead as well. She decided to get out of there, though why she didn't bother waking either me or my friend up to let us know about this, I don't know. Anyway, pretty freaky thing to wake up to. Just to clarify some points and answer some questions. Number one, I have no idea how I slept through it. That's what made it even more confusing and freaky when I was woken up by the ranger. I was definitely really tired and like I said, not feeling great. So I know I crashed hard. We were also by a creek so there was definitely some white noise of the water flowing and the woman was on the other side of the clearing so she wasn't right next to us. But was she just amazingly calm in the situation? Was she freaking out in total silence? I don't know. She arrived pretty late in the evening and we didn't talk to her, so maybe that's why she just passed on by on her way out. But we were two other females camping out there with her, so I'd like to think if the roles were reversed, I would have woken my camping neighbours up, or, like, asked them for help. Number two... I wouldn't call it a bear attack, more like the bear smelled something yummy in that tent and, a, and upon cursory examination of the object blocking said bear from the yummy smell, it realised that it quite easily bypassed this object with its claws. So I don't think it was like, roar, kill this tent and all the occupants right now so I can get to this food. More like, hey, something smells good in here, and my claws get through this thing just fine, let me scratch a bit more and make it so I can get in. And in the process of getting in there, the claws also scratched the woman's forehead. Number three, I know the claws raked her forehead because the ranger told us. She was totally fine. He said he just needed a pretty big bandage and she actually drove to the trailhead with the ranger to show him the right trail. But she didn't want to hike all the way back to the clearing. Number four, yes, 
camping in bear country. If you can't, number one, put your food in a bear box at an established campground. Number two, put your food in a bear canister, often used by backpackers. Or number three, put your food in the car in places where bears haven't learned how to peel back car doors like a can opener. For example, don't put your food in your car. Then you want to hang your food from a tree. You hang it far enough away from the truck on a thin enough branch that the bear won't be able to cling to it. And far enough off the ground that the bear can't reach it by standing on their hind legs. If you can't, if you get a bear on a unicycle or stilts coming through your camp, all bets are off. I work in the outdoor field and lead trips regularly. I once led a trip to the top of Mount Stringer in North Carolina. It's a tough climb to get to the top and about six miles from the nearest road. I was leading a group of eight middle school kids and had one co-instructor. We were camping out on top of the mountain and it was a beautiful night with a full moon. The kids and the other co-instructor went to bed in their tents. I chose to spend the night in a hammock that night. I was really into a book and was reading, so I stayed up and read until about 10.30pm. I turned my headlamp off to settle in for the night. Everything around me was rather bright from the moon, and from the position I was in, I could see down the trail we had hiked to get to the top. I laid there enjoying the scenery, and noticed something moving on the trail. Bears are common in the area, so I perked up. As it got closer, I could tell it was a person. We were in the middle of nowhere and there was something or someone hiking up the trail with no headlamp or any gear. I was just frozen watching this person move closer to our camp. The person arrived at the top of the mountain where we were and just stopped. I watched as what appeared to be a man surveyed our camp. I really could only see the outline of him and he stood there for what seemed like 30 minutes, but may have been 10. He then turned and sat down under a tree facing our camp. He was sitting up in a way that I knew he was trying to sleep. He just sat there staring at our camp. I had no idea what to do. I decided to wait it out. So I waited, just staring at the man while he stared at my camp. This went on till about 3.30am. Then he stood up, took a moment to survey my camp a few minutes longer and then went back down the trail he came up on. I, to this day, have no idea what that was all about, but it freaked me out. I was paranoid that we were being followed for the rest of the trip. While backpacking the Alpakian Trail in northern PA, a friend and I just finished hiking up a very large hill and were ready for lunch. We had planned on eating at a shelter that was another two miles down and up another hill. After some discussion, we decided to eat at the shelter as there would be more water. Well, as we arrive at the shelter, we come across who we initially think is another hiker. But no, this guy was just carrying an old school backpack and was digging for crumbs out of the bottom of the frittles bag. So he seemed out of place. We asked if he was backpacking or day hiking. Never making eye contact, he mutters out, backpacking. We then asked if he was section hiking or through hiking, 
as in doing the entire trail. He looks at us with this weird look and says, I'm, I'm just hiking through. After a little bit of talking and avoiding all of our questions, he just quickly said, I, I gotta go. As he packed his bag, we asked what his trail name was so we could look out for him on logbooks. He clearly had no idea what we were talking about. And this struck us as odd because anyone that hikes knows what a trail name is and usually has one they go by. After sort of explaining what he meant, he said, Alright, um, it's Hatchet. Which was obviously a load of crap because the guy was holding a pack axe in his hand when he said this. Well, we continued hiking and we reached our camping spot. We got settled for the night when I was awoken by Hatchet rustling through my backpack. Now my friend and I both use hammocks and I had my backpack wrapped around the tree my hammock was hanging on, so he ended up shaking my entire hammock. I screamed hey and he looked at my hammock, stared right at me for a good second, then bottled. By the time I got out of my hammock he was nowhere to be seen. Turned out he had stole a pack of tuna from my bag and a couple of granola bars from my buddies. Never saw him again. The weird part was, we got back into town and ate lunch at a diner. Turns out old Hatchet was on the run. There was a wanted poster hanging up on the door. Turns out two weeks prior he had mugged a couple of people leaving one guy pretty bloody. The whole thing was pretty freaky. We gave our statements to the police but never heard if they caught him or not. Around 18 months ago when my girlfriend and I first got together, we went camping regularly with a couple of friends in a large ancient forest. We would go in, set the tent up in the light, have a barbecue and some beers, then sleep well, our friends would. We went several weeks running, same routine, different friends each time until one night we decided to leave the tent and return later so we would get some more supplies. We returned to the tent at dusk, but found a stick figure made from twigs at the entrance of the tent. We smoked a bit, had some booze. One of our friends, who reluctantly joined us on this occasion, turned strange. He disappeared into the woods, which we found strange as he was petrified on the way into the woods and then when we could hear nothing but singing for at least an hour. He eventually returns and he continued to party until it started to rain heavily, at which point we decided to call it a night. We woke up in the morning and decided to pack the tent down. It eventually became obvious that the tree surrounding our tent had the same shape as the figure carved in the bark. We pretty much rushed to get out of there and came across a still-burning pit of fire surrounded by felled trees. This was the final straw, so we ran the remaining mile back to my car. I have to add that the woods I'm talking about has a history of deaths and suicide, and has also had reports of witchcraft too. In fact, the surrounding 20 miles has quite a lot of stuff just like that. I've been a national park ranger for close to two decades, protocols have changed a lot in that time. I write this just to try to people safe for the next time you venture for the big outdoors. Let me tell you about the last park I worked. I can't be too specific about the location for my job's sake. 
But anyway, we had clusters of campsites that we rotated annually. The idea was to prevent one group from getting overused and worn down. Let nature regrow a little bit, you know? The winter had just passed and our big summer season was a few months away. I'm sent out to check the suitability of the campsite to decide which ones need time to recover and which ones we can open up. Winters here are cold, so not too many people camp during the winter aside from rugged Massachusetts and Boy Scout troops led by people who believe they are rugged Massachusetts. I didn't expect to find much out of the ordinary. The first site was cleared and ready to go. As I am trekking to the next site, I see what looks like some debris and junk down a ways in a river's valley. Looks like some jackass set up an unauthorised camp down there. Usually when this happens, they leave garbage and smouldering fires. This is going to be a pain to clear up. I approach, seeing the telltale wreckage of what must have been one hell of a party. Stuff scattered everywhere, the skeletons of tents still raised up, and blood. I stop, and time stops with me. Pools of blood are spread out along the ground, next to signs of something heavy being dragged in the bush. I pull my radio off my belt and pause. I then pull my Glock 22 out of the holster and rack one round. I'm a certified law enforcement officer, but I haven't had to use my gun in a long time. I quickly look around for any movement, then get to my radio and call in for backup. While I wait, I listen. Silence. Silence in nature isn't good. Prey got quiet when they sense a predator. I hope all the birds are being still on my account. I edge forward slowly, looking for another, looking for anyone or anything. A shredded plastic cooler, a tent that has been annihilated, with more blood splashed on the walls and inside. People died here. I know it. You can't lose that much blood and just walk off. But no people. Shreds of clothes and a little viscera drawing all the goddamned flies here. But no people. I've seen bears rummage through camps and destroy anything that looked edible. There are wild hogs here that cut trails through the deep bush and are even more dangerous than the bears. But this isn't either of them. The devastation here, it's just too much. Some scourge of God came through here and just ripped everything to pieces. Finally backup arrived and I am sent to report to HQ. They even brought the medics out here. I don't know why, there's no one here to save. One of the new recruits vomits at the scene. I am glad to get the hell out of here. I get back and HQ is a buzz. Only four people work here, but calls are ringing, printers printing, and the air feels electrified. The manager sees me and signals me to his office. He's pale, a shen looking with bloodshot eyes. I sit down by his desk, and he goes to the door and locks it. I've never seen him lock that door. He asks me what I saw. I tell him uninterrupted. He looks even paler afterwards, and his hands tremble a bit. 
there's a very long pause, and I expect more questions. He doesn't ask any. I leave, then hear the door lock behind me. After a few minutes, I hear him call someone up, and a long, low conversation ensues. I never see him again. Word comes down from on high, we're assigned a new manager, one who excels at what he calls crisis. His first order of business, a controlled burn of the unauthorised camp and the site closest to it. I'm not arguing, I watch the smoke rise in the distance and pray that that's the end of it. New orders, we locate the existing campsite closer to HQ. We stake out a few trail cameras at the new locations just to make sure it's not in the middle of nesting ground. We put up a few cameras pointed at the hog trails through the bush for a good measure. A couple days pass, and we go out to collect the footage. The new manager takes it all and starts studying it in his office. A couple of hours into reviewing, he freaks out, starts screaming and yelling, gets on the phone calling up the line spitting more obscenities. He spends the rest of the day and the night in the office, calling up specialists and planners. Next morning, I show up for a meeting. Manager doesn't look like he slept. Massive changes are afoot. He lays out our new plans, including massively bright lampposts circling the park borders as well as floodlights around the ranger station. Campsites need to be moved even closer in, clear lines of sight from the light if possible. I butt in, telling him that that defeats the point of going camping, if you're just going on a short walk through the grass then setting up so close you can see the parking lot. He tells me to shut up, that it's just the start. The park now closes at sundown, sharp. Also, we're now required to have a long gun on our person at all times. Now, it's uncommon for a ranger to carry an AR-15 or a Remington 870 shotgun going out in the deep woods. There are wild and rabid animals out there. The real concern are massive pot growers. These aren't your chill neighbourhoods who hide a few plants behind the tomatoes. They run the spectrum from large-scale suppliers who like their privacy and dislike law enforcement to anti-government crazies who think we have no right over them. The true patriots. Both groups have a few common points. They tend to be well-armed, they do not like lawmen, and they won't shy away from taking a pot shot at some dumb poor ranger who finds himself in their fields. Keep in mind, Elliot Ness, Mr. I fought Al Capone and won, got scared of busting up alpaca and moonshiners because they constantly sniped at him in the foothills. They shoot to kill. Those are the reasons we keep the big guns around, not routine patrols. I drew the short straw and got the overnight shift. The manager tells me more changes to protocol will be listed when I return. Overnights used to be easy, monitor the radios, bust up the parties if needed, check for poachers if they approach nearby, make sure the forest doesn't burn down. I clock in and per instructions go to the gun cage. My things have changed. Our shotguns have new rifled barrels, so they can handle the solid slugs we've been issued. That's the kind of firepower you want to take down a charging bear, god forbid you ever need it. 
The AR-15s have been stepped up too. The old 15 round magazine has been replaced by 30 round ones. Someone even snuck us in hollow point rounds. It makes no damn sense. Shooting in the woods you need full metal jacket ammo so the rounds don't go wild when they touch a twig. Hollow points just exist to make more tissue damage. This is ridiculous. This is overkill. We are not a war zone. We don't need this kind of firepower. Next to the radio, there are new instructions. Now we are not allowed to directly respond to emergency calls. We can reply, figure out what the issue is when we report to a new phone number I don't recognise. Time passes slowly tonight. I am not even allowed to leave the building until sunup. A few uneventful nights pass. The new floodlights and lampposts are frying my eyes, it's so bright out there a blind man could see. A week later some kids roll into the lot. They grab their backpacks and start hiking up the ridge. I know what they're up to, no one has booked a campsite that night. Cheap young ones going on a campout that will be a raging party. I wait for the sun to go down, confirming they're not out for a day hike. I called my manager to report it. He instructed me to call the new number. I report up to them now. A curt voice answers the phone. He asks my park, then pauses. He asks the issue. I say, there's a bunch of kids on an authorised site. Do I go break it up? I can see their campfire out on the ridge right now. No, do not leave the building. Do not attempt communication. That is all. Report if there are any developments. Right after daybreak, the manager rides up. It's really early. Have you seen them? Did they leave? No, the car's still there. Let them rest, they probably all hung over. He cursed, non-stop. Then he goes inside to make a call. I remained outside looking up the ridge when he exit the station. One AR-15 in his hand, another one strapped across his back. Glock on his hip, he marches slidingly towards his car. I try to ask him what in God's name he's doing but he isn't listening or responding. He takes a jerry can of gasoline from his car and marches up the ridge. I yell after him, to no reply. I consider following him but that doesn't seem like a good idea. I go back inside and call the number. The same curt voice, the same direct questions. Yeah, the manager went up to the campsite, armed to the teeth and carrying gasoline. What the hell do I do? They replied, stay there, do not interfere, backup is inbound, report if there are any developments. About the same time I start to see smoke wafting off the ridge, two vans ride into the lot at a screaming speed. A dozen men, heavily armed and armoured, exit quickly. I go out to check. Who are you guys? What's going on? The men are all lined up with impeccable military precision. One of them a commander, I assume exits the vehicle last. He says, which direction did he go? I mean, he's up there, I pointed at the increasing smoke. The men fan out and start jogging up the ridge. I hear rifles cocking as they leave. I tried to shout after them, but there was no response. 
I look at the vans that they came in in. Large, nondescript, they just say DOI response team on the side. Half an hour later they returned, dragging the manager with them. He is bound in zip ties and he screams, I did what needed to be done, trust me. It's worse than they thought, we can't stop this, burn it all. They throw him in the back and sedate him. The commander approaches me and my neck, hairs bristle in cold fear. I need to see the office, all computers and anything with a hard drive is coming with me. He mentioned videotapes, I need those too. I unlock the doors and they ransack the place. Everything gets taken. Printed reports from the last few years disappear into those vans. The videotapes get bagged up and held by the commander himself. He studies the gun gauge. Cute. You're out of your league, he scoffs. Finally, they found everything they looked for. The commander tells me, Call the number. Tell them it's contained. You need a new supervisor. Also, don't talk about this to anyone. They leave and just on cue, the fire brigade and few news vans show up. The fire is contained, the news reporters say. Rumours of missing campers are unsubstained at this time. Still, the rumours alone are enough to scare off the season's campers. The press dies down after a week or two. The new manager is very good at dealing with them. Thankfully, with no new campers and our now even shorter open hours, we can get more work done around here. Rebuilding the station took some time, and we just set up new campsites. They are particularly spitting distance from the station. Nothing dramatic happens for a few days. Then on a whim, the manager tells us to set up some cameras around the station and the campsite. There is usually so much human activity around here, all you really need. There are usually so much human activity around here, all you see are some raccoons. Maybe the rare, hungry bear, but we humour him and set them up all around. A couple of days pass and we, we collect the footage. I play poker with one of the rookies while the manager watches hours of footage of an empty but brilliantly illuminated parking lot. Then he gets to the footage around the station. Screams come from the office. We barge in and he's stamping on the camera hard drives gibbering things I can't understand along the lines of, told me it was clean, safe, no recent activity. Bullshit, here, I'm not going to do it. He barks at us to leave. Later, he makes a call. Ruki goes up to the door and listens in. Then he came back and reported. Yeah, he's demanding a transfer. Says they lied to him. Something about they didn't do their jobs properly. He's not prepared or equipped here. Then I just heard the phone click and some sobbing. Hours later, my manager exits the office. His shoulders are slumped, defeated. We cut our hours even further, particularly open on weekends only. We'll have a full staff ready those days, but a skeleton crew the rest of the time. Campers are required to check in to one of the closest sites, no campsite and they're told to leave. We are not authorised to leave the station after dark under any circumstances. In an emergency, do not call 911. Call the number and do exactly what they say. We draw straws from who gets overnight shifts. 
why we need to stay overnight if we can't do anything is beyond me. So I asked the manager about it and he just said that standard protocol is to have someone on hand to report any irregularities overnight. I have to work my overnight shift. So I keep my phone close, the number dialed in, ready if needed to call. It is a bad night, I just wind up pacing around with my shotgun glancing into the bright floodlights, trying to see what's past them. I hear crickets, and it relaxes me. Prey is quiet when predators are around. It is a long night. The next night, my manager draws a short straw. He seems resigned. In the end, we all have to take a turn. He brings the brightest damn tactical flashlight I have ever seen. Said he bought it just because he's afraid of the dark. He isn't really. He's afraid of the things in the dark. I get a phone call at 3am. It's him. Get over here now and bring guns. What? What? You have a damn arsenal? Now! Oh, I swear to God, I fucked up. Oh man, I think they're attracted to the light. I called that number and all they said was back it would be here in the morning. Oh fuck, fuck, fuck. I hear the piercing staccato of gunshots. A pause, more gunshots. Screaming, scuffling. The line goes dead. I call the number. A new terse voice answers. I answer the questions that I usually have to answer. Then ask what I have to report. I say, something bad happened. It's serious. I heard gunshots. They replied, we will have backup there as soon as possible. Did he say anything else? Yeah, he said he thought they were attracted to the light. Doesn't make sense to me. Interesting. Thank you for your report. The park is now closed. You will be reassigned. Goodbye. Officially, the park was closed to be scheduled for a controlled burn, let the old trees die and make room for new ones. There was nothing in the official report about what happened to the manager on duty. The public understanding was that things need to be shaken up on occasions. No one asked any more questions. I get transferred to a new park, halfway across the country. Change of scenery, and it is beautiful. They've got some odd rules here too. Don't go far after dark and don't carry a flashlight. I'm concerned about why. Why can't you use a flashlight at night when you need one? But they won't tell me. Please be safe, everyone. Just after finishing our GCSEs, a group of friends and I went camping. The weather was naff and on the whole huge campground, there was pretty much just us and a group of Irish scouts. So we all ended up hanging out together along the youngish guys who ran all the activities on the site. Technically any activities had to be booked and paid for in advance, but these guys were bored so they let us do anything that didn't involve expensive equipment for free. On our last night they took us on the pathetically unscary ghost walk. It was so woozy that we took over in the end and started telling them creepy stories. When we were all pretty much ready for bed, our group went across the field in our tents all laughing and joking until one of the other girls stopped still and said loudly, 
What's that in the front of our tent? There was a short, white figure pacing in front of one of the tents, about 30 feet away from us. It was dark, but we could all see it as a solid-looking shape. One of the girls screamed and it stopped pacing and rushed at us. I've never run faster in my life. I lost my shoes halfway across the field and kept going straight onto the tarmac road and down to the activities building. We went back with about 20 scouts and some burly guys with big lanterns, but there was nothing to be seen. Who knows, it was probably just mist or something. But it was scary at the time. It hasn't put me off camping though. I just needed to man up. I was camping at the base of Tejeras Peak in Colorado near the lake that sits at its feet. I am about to fall asleep when I hear something walking outside of our tent. The sound of small twigs snapping underfoot. It is slow and careful sounding. I start to think and hope that it's just a deer or something wild. I'd much rather it be an animal than a human because a human slowly walking around our tent in the middle of the night is probably up to no good. My ice axe is just outside the tent, so I think I'd try to slowly unzip the tent and grab the axe. Then, the thing, it starts making noises. It stops moving. Maybe five feet from our tent and it starts breathing heavy and then scraping on something just outside of the tent. Suddenly, it stops. Again, and maybe 20 seconds later, it makes another odd sound. Kind of like a person with hoarse vocal cords trying to say, Ha! But more forceful. The whoop doesn't sound like an owl, it honestly sounds human. I quickly unzip the tent and grab our ice axes. And I'm ready to start swinging. I'm too chicken to jump out of the tent, so I just lay there clutching my axe. The thing finally walks away, and I'm so tired from hiking all day that I fall asleep shortly after. The next morning we get up and survey the area, finding that the stump a few feet from our tent had been gnawed or scratched on pretty significantly. There weren't any large hoof or footprints around the camp, so to this day I wish I had have jumped out and shined my light around to see what it was. I was in my tent and it was the middle of the night, perhaps 1am, and I'd woken up to go pee, just like normal. I was about to unzip the tent when I heard a small, scratching sound, so I paused. It was a slow, deliberate, crunchy digging sound. It was too rhythmic for an animal, so after making sure it wasn't my dad who was sharing the tent, I unzipped a corner of the door and peeked out. The moon was just bright enough for me to see a young woman squatting right next to her little two-man tent, digging at the ground with her bare hands. My dad went and shined a flashlight on her and told her to go back to wherever she had made camp. The woman got up silently, leaving a four-inch deep hole next to the tent, and started walking away. 
I went outside, went and peed, and got back into my sleeping bag. A few minutes later, I was awoken again by a clattering sound of a person or an animal walking around where we had put our stuff. I looked outside again and the woman was crouched low, walking around our stuff and looking at things the way a monkey might. My father stepped out of the tent, shined the flashlight on her again, and she faced him. He asked her to kindly leave their stuff alone, but she just stood there, dirty and neglected looking, but clearly not malnourished, staring at his light. He gave up and went back into our tent. Soon we heard her digging again at our little hole, which was literally six inches and two pieces of thin nylon away from my head. I shouted for her to go away, and she ran away in an animalistic kind of way, and never returned. I fell back asleep, and in the morning, our stuff was scattered, but luckily nothing was stolen. This happened to an acquaintance of mine and his son. This took place back in the early 90s. He had taken his young son for a father and son type hike out of Skagway. If any of you are familiar with Skagpatch, it is quite a network of trails above town at Lower Dewey Lakes. So, it's evening. Dinner done, tent up, bedtime. Sometime later, around midnight, He's woken up by the tent shaking violently, then silence. Then again. Keep in mind it's late August and pitch black. I mean as pitch black as you can get under the heavy coastal rainforest with no moon. This shaking kept up for over an hour. He had no idea what it was. He went out with his headlamp, yelled and heard nothing. Would go back in the tent. Then it would start up again. He could hear footsteps whenever it happened. He was pretty shaken up by the next morning, as you could probably imagine. He reported it to troopers, and the only thing they could come up with was someone with a night vision set up, messing around, or something else. Not something I experienced, but my sister and her husband did. My family used to have a cabin on a lake in the Northwoods. It's a lake with no public access. On the other side is or was an old girl's camp that the state was letting fall apart. The camp had a large two-story main house that was mostly intact at the time. My sister and her husband decided to check out the camp one day. They canoed over and started to walk around. They went into the main house first. They walked around for a bit and then they heard heavy footsteps coming from upstairs. These footsteps turned into someone running heavily towards the stairs. My sister and her husband booked it out of the house, but they could hear the steps coming down the stairs and on the main level as they ran out. They opted to run around the house instead of heading back to the shore. They never saw who it was, but they heard them enter back into the house, and then they heard them storm back outside again. They went into the woods, 
this time and heard someone running in the woods after them. They took the long way round to the lake back to the cabin. My dad and I had to go back later that day to get the canoe. We never heard or saw anything. This happened in 81 or maybe it was 82, I'm, I'm not too sure anymore. I had made friends with a fellow I worked with and offered to take him gigging for frogs. He was from the city and had never spent any time in the woods at night. The farm I had permission to go to was only about a mile from my place. My friend showed up at 10.30 or so and I gave him a gig and a flashlight. We decided to walk to the other farm. We didn't get far before we both heard something walking in the dark to the side of us. Now, I've been in the woods all my life, and I've had plenty of deer follow me, but I wasn't going to tell him that. It was clear he was getting spooked, um, so we climbed a fence and continued on. Then we heard something else climb the fence. Deer, don't climb fences. I tried looking around with the flashlight, but he wanted none of it. We could see the house lights of the place we were going to, and he ran off on me, and he beat on the guy's door until he let him in. By the time I got there, Mr. Barber, the, the landowner, and his wife was out on the porch and wanted to know what was going on. Mr. Barber and I went back and had a look around, but found nothing. My friend refused to walk back and Mr. Barber gave us a ride back to my place. We never did find out what or who it was that was following us. My friend decided that frogging wasn't for him. He also refused to go on several fishing trips I had invited him to. I can't say I was too comfortable with what happened, but I hadn't let it stop me from frogging. My pops and I are avid campers, not professionals anymore, but my dad used to be a wilderness guide for kids. We typically prefer the eastern, western Sierras, and they have a great car camping spots next to lakes and a lot of great trails. Last summer we decided to go up for a two night stay and do some hiking. The campground was pretty full, not unusual for the summer, but we were lucky enough, I thought at the time to find a pretty secluded site and we set up our tents. First night was normal, little bit activity, but we're used to that. The second night, I crawl into my backpacking tent, head and toes hit both ends because it's very small, and I pass out cold until about 3am when I wake up to the sound of footsteps. My dad is a diabetic and he used to get up to pee around three to four times a night, and the sounds are definitely footprints, but they're coming from the wrong direction. We were located next to the bathroom, so the footsteps shouldn't be moving in that direction, but they're coming closer to my tent. They stop about a yard short, and the breathing gets really heavy. I first brush it off as my dad, maybe lost without a flashlight. The breathing goes away, so I fall back asleep, but only to be woken up a few minutes later to breathing right above the tent. You know that rush of terror up your spine? Yeah, I had that. This wasn't dad. I laid perfectly still, but the footprints continued to circle the tent. 
I had the rain fee on so I couldn't see through the roof. It was a new moon and pitch black. Now I convinced myself, a heavy sleeper, that I'm dreaming. Just as that thought runs through my head, I feel a single finger run the length of my foot through the tent. Real, slow and methodical. Now I figure, I had to be dreaming because my foot is in my sleeping bag and I couldn't possibly feel that. But that comfort disappeared quickly when I realised, using the small ambient light available, that my floor was bare and out of the bag. I laid frozen as whatever it was, stroked my foot for a minute or two, gave a few more laboured breaths and then just stood above my tent for what felt like an eternity before disappearing. I stayed up all night. In the morning, I heard my dad get out of his tent. I bolted up and met him by the fire. He looked me in the eye and asked if I had gotten up the night before. I asked him the same and he said that he had around 2am because he thought someone was going through our stuff. As I told him my story, we noticed our gear had been neatly rearranged on the table. Every item. Nothing taken. Footprints in a perfect circle around my tent. We still can't even talk about it. One night I was camping near where an old river dam had been. I pulled the canoe in late so I just draped the tarp over the canoe and crawled in underneath it and fell asleep. In the middle of the night I woke up to the sound of roaring water. I crawled up out from under the tarp and the sound stopped. I thought I must have been imagining it or the wind through the trees or something. I crawled back under the tarp and the sound started again. This time, when I crawled out, it didn't stop. The sound got louder and louder. I realised that it sounded like water ripping through the woods. Even the dogs had their hair on end. I quick pulled the tarp off the canoe and dragged it up to the top of the ridge and waited to see what was making that noise. Then I heard the voices. Men yelling and a dull thumping noise. I huddled down next to the boats, pulled the dogs close and waited for the sun to come up to find out what was happening. Morning came and there was nothing to see. To this day I don't know what it was but I have my ideas. I will not camp there ever again. I was told that the land remembers, and that's fine. I just don't need to be there when it's remembering. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed, please be sure to leave a like and a comment and tell me what your favourite story was. Also, if you have any stories of your own you'd like to share, please feel free to send them to the email in the description, or equally you can submit them on my website. Anyway, I hope you all have a pleasant evening, and I will see you all in the next one. Thank you. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.